Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Years ago, one of my clients came in, flung himself in a chair, and said, if I do what my wife wants, she wins. And I had two immediate thoughts. The first one was, you don't want a happy wife? And the second, which was more important, was his marriage just became a tug of war. And unfortunately, too many people think like my client. It is difficult to balance what you want, what your partner wants, and what the relationship needs. In fact, it's one of the biggest challenges to creating a healthy marriage that lasts. So to address this important manner and how to address it successfully, I'm joined by Dr. Glenn Gare, Professor of Psychology at the State University of New York at New Paltz. So, Glenn, Dr. Gara, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about what's really sure. a, a common challenge for people. Yeah, it's a very common challenge. I just want to say thank you so much for thinking of me and for, for having me, Leslie, and I'm really looking forward to discussing all this with you. Well, and so you wrote an article for psychologytoday.com titled, I Clean the Dishes So You Should Love Me. I love that title. <laughs> um, but, can you, and in this, you talk a little bit about um, an exchange approach to relationships. So can you talk a little bit more about what that means, an exchange sure. relationship? Sure. So we have different kinds of relationships with different people. Um, if you think about your relationship that you have with um, a business person in town, maybe my state farm agent, that's completely an exchange relationship. You know, it's very nice, pleasant. I like him. He's a very nice guy. But when I go in there, um, you know, it's business. And I'm going to write him mm-hmm. a check for X hundred dollars, and he's going to give me a piece of paper that, you know, here's, here's my car. So, so mm-hmm. that's a standard exchange relationship. And in our everyday worlds, there's lots of relationships where it's almost unquestioningly an exchange relationship. Um, there are reasons that a splash of that mentality makes it into more intimate kinds of relationships as well. Um, So I'll just give an example. Um, You might have a sibling who lives near you and you drove your brother, let's say, to the airport a couple of weeks ago and today you got to go to the airport. So you might think that might be the first person that you give a call um, mm-hmm. You know, it's your brother. Your brother's probably going to help you anyway. You share blood. But the fact that there's also a history of I did this for you, you know, with a small expectation that you're going to help me back, that uh-huh. mentality of, you know, sometimes we can call it reciprocity, that certainly makes it into um, all different kinds of relationships as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so you know, part, of, part of what caught my attention about your, the, the title of your piece was you know, this whole chore wars thing that, I mean, I wrote, a, I wrote an article back in the early 2000s when chore wars was the cover of Time magazine back in the day when it actually came in your mailbox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, I wrote it back then, and, then it, and there still seems to be this argument, fight, challenge, I don't know what people talk about, about, you know, 
who does what around the house, who does more, and, and that to me is, was it, is at the heart of hmm. what you're talking about in this exchange approach that, you know, I do this, you need to do this, and, and we're going to score keep. But Dr. You know, John Gottman, who's a huge you know, guru in our field, says scorekeeping is one of the things that kills relationships. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because personally I teach statistics. I'm very mathematically oriented. Um, <laughs> you know, so, and I think men are more likely to have an exchange kind of approach to relationships than are, are women. So, I, <clears throat> you know, I think I'm probably not the only married guy who has – you know, seeing that. And then now I, I think because I'm kind of cognizant of it and have been married for a long time and have thought about this quite, quite a bit, I can sort of step back and say, wait a minute, that was very exchange-ish of me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and <laughs> it's not that, um, it's not that the goal is to do everything that needs to be done and then not expect anyone else to do anything and then, and then not fight. Like that's kind of impossible. That's not really the goal, but mm-hmm. um, scorekeeping in and of itself is a real turnoff because what, what scorekeeping says, um, it says I'm seeing this relationship the same way I see my relationship with Jim at state farm um, I, as opposed to, and I think it's important and I do this in the article on site today as opposed mm-hmm. to seeing this relationship in what we would call a communal manner. Um, so a communal relationship is one where I love you and I care so much about you that your needs and interests and wants are literally above mine. That that's, you know, that it's almost <clears throat> like real love definitely has this communal, you know, kind of thing. And the second that I'm saying, well, I, I did the dishes six times this week, so your turn, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's kind of, it's saying a couple of things. It's one thing it is saying, or it's implicitly signaling is I'm not seeing this as a communal loving relationship. I'm seeing this just like my relationship with the dude at state farm. And, and that can be, um, that can be very detrimental to a relationship. Well, and I love this idea of this communal approach because, um, you know, it, it, it's sort of my view of marriage is that the relationship is kind of this umbrella and, you know, that, that is supported by everything underneath it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's this idea of instead of keeping track of who did what when, it's sort of like what needs to be done and how can I contribute to that? So, I, so is that what, kind of what you mean by the communal approach? Yeah, in a communal approach, it's exactly. It's not... It's not, okay, um, this guy did, you know, six hours this week, so you're off the hook, you know, this one. Now, those kind of inferences and thoughts and calculations, I'm not saying that they have zero role. Um, And fairness and equity are very important values that we teach our children, that we try to cultivate in our world. Um, But I think the problem becomes when that's the headline. You know, the problem becomes not having that mentality at all. To some extent, it's kind of necessary um, for fairness and equity to sort of exist in a relationship. But when, when that's what's underscored, um, instead of, hey, we, you know, we got a household here. Who's going to walk the dogs? Oh, that's great. Who's going to, you know, clean the dishes? That's awesome. Um, what else needs to be done? You know, I'm going to go do this. And then when I'm done with the 
bringing the wood in the house, if there's something else that needs to be done, of course, I'll, I'll help out, you know, and I mean, it sounds idealistic in a lot of ways, but when people are sort of motivated um, in a communal manner, like I'm helping with the goals of the broader community <laughs> and I'm bringing that kind of relationship to my intimate relationship or to my relationship with my romantic partner, that just flies so much better um, than the scorekeeping exchange approach. Well, and you know, it's sort of something that I would tell my kids because I have two children, and I would tell them, I'm going to treat you equivalently. I'm not going to treat you equally, which means mm-hmm. if one of you needs a pair of shoes, I'm not necessarily buying the other one a pair of shoes because you right. don't need a pair of shoes just to be equal. But, right. but when you need a pair of shoes, I'm going to buy them, and when your sister needs a pair of shoes, I'm going to buy them, and we're not going to argue about them. Um, right, and I right. think that that's kind of the same thing that needs to happen. I mean, my husband and I, for years, in fact, we still, we still have it. The, the agreement was whoever cooks, the other one cleans up. Okay. And this was for, this was for dinner, not, not cooking our own breakfast, but you know, whoever sure. cooks dinner, the other one cleans the kitchen because you know, that's its equivalent kind of sure. service so that one person doesn't feel completely over, overwhelmed by you know, whatever it is. And, sure. and, and, and it truly was an agreement that we made. Now, sometimes my husband is a wonderful human being, and he cooks dinner, and I come in to clean up the kitchen, and it's already clean, because, <laughs> of course, my mm-hmm. love language is acts of service. So he's doing that as, oh, I just, you know, did this because I love you. Um, and, it, and it does make for a much more um, harmonious relationship, because we're not, we're not focused on... The I did this for you, right. so now here, right. you know, so now you have to do sure. you know, these these things for me. And I'm, you know, and I, and it's interesting because you mentioned the difference between men and women, and that men tend to be more exchange oriented and women tend to be more communal oriented. But going back to that argument about who does what around the house, women are the ones who tend to who tend to be angrier because they feel like they're doing more. So help me understand. I don't know if that's a dynamic you could even address, hmm. because you would think that that would that if men truly were exchange oriented, they would see that maybe it's not as equivalent as it could be. Yeah, it's an interesting. I think that dynamic you described is probably most typical. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of these guys who just loves to clean and I can't help it. So I think it might be a little reversed. Um, oh, can you come to my house, please? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but, but yeah, I think I, well, there's another relevant piece of research speaking to that, um, which is the fact that there was a study done on couples. This was done years ago, and they asked people to list the different things that they, you know, what do you contribute in this, in this relationship? Mm-hmm. So in, in this study... They ask people, what do you contribute? Make your list. And what mm-hmm. does your partner contribute? Make, make that list. And then they had the partner do it as well. And mm-hmm. there was a very strong effect for people to essentially overinflate their own contributions. So almost everyone now, was this for both men and women? Yes, it was both men and women. And it was the average amount that people rated was higher than 50%. So in other words, if you had a couple, it might be that she said, I do 80%, and he said, I do 75%, right? Which, you know, mm-hmm. adds up to whatever, <laughs> way more than 100%. Way more than right. 100%. So it's mathematically impossible. 
And there's a lot of, um, a lot of our social psychology kind of sets that up. So A, we only have access to our own memories, thoughts, and feelings. We don't have access to that um, in others. So we, you know, I remember very vividly when I was vacuuming the upstairs before and then bringing the big heavy vacuum downstairs. Um, Mm -hmm. My wife was helping my son fill out the um, the application for the summer program, but, you know, I didn't do that, so I didn't have the same hour and a half of having to create the account and the password and pay the money and whatever mm-hmm. else she had to do. Like, that wasn't as, as um, you know, as tangible, as palpable in my mind or salient in my mind um, as the things that I've done. And I think be- because of that, we tend to, you know, it's not selfish. I think it's really just based on you have different experiences and, you know, the stuff that you've done stands out to you because you've, you've done it. You and I feel it. Like, yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's so common that both, both members of a couple feel, you know, well, look how much I've put in or look how much I've done um, because they just have direct access to all the things that they have done and indirect access to whatever the, the partner has done. And, and, I, and, I, and I love that. And but if but if you put that together with an exchange approach, then it makes sense that people would feel like their partner wasn't yeah. doing enough or doing mm-hmm. as much, and and then that creates that 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 tension. Yeah, and then that that creates friction. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that that is a classic. When I wrote that piece, I knew when I hit submit, I'm like, this is one of these pieces that people are going to read and connect with because this dynamic probably exists in, you know, half the marriages in the United States right now. I think it's so common. So it's probably good for people to, I think this is one of those things where awareness can probably go a long way. There's a lot of things in psychology where you can be aware about it. Um, Like you you could be aware about type two diabetes and the problems associated with overeating and the problems with too many carbs, but it might be really hard for you to change your diet or you could be a smoker and you could know everything bad about smoking, which by the way, audience, it's bad. Don't do it. Um, you know, <laughs> but it's, but it's so that's also part of the yeah, problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think there's something a little bit different with this because I think it's, it, it really doesn't take too much to understand what an exchange versus a communal relationship is. And there's real behavioral actions that you can take. You know, if you find yourself regularly saying that's not fair or regularly saying Mm. I can't believe you didn't do this because look (laughs) what I just did. My back still hurts from that. You know, Mm -hmm. once you see yourself, then then you can really step back and think, do I really love this person? And if I'd say, you know, my advice is if the answer is yes in any capacity because there's all kinds of love that's to be out there, then Mm -hmm. sort of amplify that and, and, and downplay all the counting, and I really think that that is, is definitely a key to helping for a harmonious relationship. Yeah, well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but I need to remind people that this is Happily Ever After. It's just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking with Professor Dr. Glenn Gare about how to create a marriage that works for both of you. And this is really a common challenge that would be a lot easier if everyone had to take a relationship one-on-one class. But it's never too late to learn, and if you would like some help with your marriage, I invite you to take a moment and get in touch with me today to schedule your free, no obligation, create your happily ever after transformation session. You can reach me by email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, 
at foundationscoachingnz.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S. Coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in charlie.com. Or you can give me a call at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. And now I want to get back to this conversation about communal versus um, versus exchange approach in your relationships. So I think that we kind of have talked about that a communal approach is probably a healthier approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were talking a little bit before the break about how people can change, potentially change their, their you know, take a step back and change their viewpoint. And because, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, and I know that, again, we've got evidence to show this, that resentment, building resentment, is really a, a, you know, catastrophic for mm-hmm. relationships. And I would think that you know, focusing on, well, I did this and my partner isn't doing that, that's a lot of the source of where resentment comes from. Exactly. So what are some, um, you know, how, how, do we, how do we help people get out or how do we get ourselves out of that, of that mindset and Start and do and do take that step back and a more global look about what my partner may actually be doing that I'm actually not paying any attention to. Right, right. Well, communication I think is critical. Um, mm-hmm. Making time for conversations with your partner about relationship specific issues is essential for a well functioning relationship. If you're not making one hour a week or more to talk about, you know, how are things going, what's, you know, what's not going well for you, what can I help you with, um, maybe even touching on bedroom-related issues, touching on things that, you know, usually don't get talked about or get brushed to the side, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be really, really helpful. I-, I will tell you that I've been married for almost 23 years now to my wife, Kathy, and I think for the most part we have a really great relationship um, but I will say that <clears throat> maybe almost a year ago, we had a long drive and uh, going down to pick up our, our son, maybe in South Jersey. And I remember I said, this is a good time just to have sort of a, you know, status of the relationship kind of conversation. And mm-hmm. my wife, who's incredibly pleasant, um, really <laughs> is not someone to ruffle feathers, is not someone who wants conflict or trouble everyone who knows her knows her as just this like positive person. And I think that's very genuine. She, she kind of divulged, I don't know exactly the wording, but what I took away from it was that I have way too much of an exchange approach to the relationship and mm. that that doesn't make her feel good all the time. That that's essentially, you know, sort of was my takeaway. And I'll tell you, I, uh-huh. huh. I said, okay. And I, I, instead of getting defensive, I said, okay, I definitely said the other day, you know, I did this, so you should do this. Why do I always mm-hmm. do this? It's not fair. And literally, it was like a behavioral experiment. Um, <laughs> this, this was maybe April. And I remember coming home, and the next day, in the next couple of days, going out of my way to say, you know what? I've learned about in graduate school communal versus exchange relationships. Let me try, instead of saying it's your turn to walk the dogs, let me just walk them if she seems busy and not, you know, mm-hmm. and let me kind of, let me just contribute in a way that's to her benefit and, you know, showing her love. And you want to hear the most amazing thing that came out of it. Um, 
was two things. One, it, it worked really well. We, I, we felt closer. Um, things mm-hmm. felt more harmonious. Um, not that they were terrible, but they definitely, you know, you could feel things felt, uh, feeling again closer and, and more positive. Um, and here's the rub. She started doing more stuff. She started, um, you know, because I'm, I'm one of these guys, almost sounds like your husband, like, I can't help it. I got to clean. I'm going to do the counter. I got to take the right. garbage mm-hmm. out. I, I'm, just, I'm just compelled to do these kinds of things. So I probably do a lot of that stuff just because I do a lot of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. w- w- what I found was that suddenly things changed. And instead of me kind of nagging and saying, I did the dishes yesterday, instead of using that kind of approach to try to, you know, affect her behavior or to make, make things change, showing genuine love and, you know, playing down the counting and the exchange component and all that, that changed everything. Um, and I'm telling you, like, it was suddenly she was like, okay, Glenn doesn't like the blankets, you know, in a big clump on the, on the couch. I'm going to fold them nicely. Like I know he, he likes them that like, it was like, it, mm-hmm. it was like, I'm not going to say it was like magic, but it was definitely a substantial shift for, for the better, you know, for all of the relationship goals um, that we, that we had, I feel like that was very useful. So again, in my own experience, it, it occurred to me that this is a behavioral change. That's not that hard to do. It's not giving up smoking. It's not changing your <laughs> diet. You know, it's, it's, it's something that if you think about it and you communicate with your, with your partner, you too mm-hmm. can, can do that. And I, I, and, and, and I do want to say, there's a couple of things I want to say about this. Absolutely. I mean, anybody who listens to the show, a, a huge number of my guests and I talk about positive and productive communication. So it's how you talk to your partner about, about that stuff. And if you do it regularly, it, it mm-hmm. gets a lot easier. But the other thing I want to say is that you made a decision to do something different, and it changed. Not just, not just you, but it also changed what she did. And that's the other thing I want people to take away is that you can do things in support of your relationship, on your own, without your partner, number one, even knowing that you're doing it, and things mm-hmm. will change. Sure. Because what happens is like, you know, it, 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 it stops that, that, that push-pull, like I was talking about with my client at the beginning. The, the tug of war. It's, it's a tug of war. And, and if you drop your end of the rope, then the other person has nothing to pull against, number mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And number two, it invites them to do what they really want to do anyway because it, it helps reduce that tension, that resentment, that, that if, if I feel nagged by my partner to do X, you know, and they stop nagging, then it's kind of like, oh, maybe I'll just do X because right, I really want right. to do it anyway, but I'm resistant because I'm being told I have to or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, you nailed it. That's exactly right. I mean, and that's such an interesting concept. You know, and, and I know a lot of people struggle with that because it's like, well, I need to get my partner to do something different. It's like, and sometimes the way to get your partner to do something different is you start doing, I guess it's what Gandhi is, what be the change you want to see in the world. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Be the change you want to see in your relationship. And that doesn't mean that that's um, a panacea because a lot of times you still actually need to check in with your partner and go, hey, How's it going? What's working? What's not working? Um, and like you said, you were open to that. 
And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a big thing about how, how can people become more open to that, using, using the example of your type 2 diabetes, because, of course, it's, I mean, it is a serious form of diabetes, but it doesn't carry the same as type 1 because you may or may not have to use insulin, but there are a lot of things that go into it that it's like, yeah, I don't really want to do that, or I don't see the benefit of it, or, you know, how do we mm-hmm. help people kind of get over that, that exchange idea and more into this, hey, we're, we're, we're in this together. I mean, I, I like the marriage to like climbing into a boat and we're going to sink or swim together. I mean, it's right. like we, we've got to work together or we're going to be in trouble. Sure. I, well, I think if you ask most, most members of couples, even if they're struggling, even if there have been difficult times and so forth, my experience is if you ask them, do you love your partner? Almost mm. always someone's going to say yes. Now, that love could mean one of a hundred different things. But if there's a true belief that whatever love is, I, it's important, an important value to me that I feel that way toward my partner, um, I think that's a very strong basis. You know, you know that, holding that value coupled with an understanding of the benefits of a communal approach to relationships, I think can be very powerful. Um, like, it's, it's like, A, okay, so you really love your partner. Yep, that's what I'm saying. And then B, do, do you, you know, isn't love about putting your partner above yourself, putting your relationship above yourself, emphasizing and prioritizing what your partner wants, what your partner needs, making your partner happy. You know, most people would agree that, that love has those components, and those are all components of a communal approach to relationships, and none of those are components of an exchange relationship, you know, so it's pretty rare that someone says, I just love my insurance guy. You know, you might like <laughs> your insurance guy and you might say, well, he's very good at giving, giving me a good rate and, you know, I see him once every two years and he smiles or whatever, but with your, with your partner, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's based on love, you know, marriages are based on, on love and even if the flame has gone down or is kind of barely there, if both partners still in their heart will swear, yes, I love this person in some capacity or another, the foundation of love is putting the partner's needs, wants, and happiness as a top priority for yourself. And that's totally inconsistent with an exchange approach. So I I feel like that's the kind of Mm -hmm. cognitive restructuring that could be very helpful. Well, and that's really interesting because, you know, and, and as you're saying that, I just have the flash of, you know, I love my partner, I'm just not in love with them, which makes me want to scream every time I hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, because the implication is that loving them is somehow lesser than being in love with them, which is like, okay, you've got this flipped completely backwards, but all right. Um, mm-hmm. But this idea of, you know, and, and, and I get this, that if both people are doing this, then you've got this communal approach and you've got this really good thing. And I have, you know, I'm hearing, you know, clients and, you know, my listeners and going, but I, but I do act in a loving way towards my partner and I don't receive it. Um, and, and, you know, and, and so part of that may be just a lack of communication mm-hmm. um, because people, because people can put their focus on the wrong thing that, you know, this is important to me. So I'm assuming it's important to my partner and I don't bother to check in with them that maybe they'd rather my energy be, be put someplace else. 
um, you know, but, but, and sometimes it is a case of maybe your, maybe your partner just isn't interested um, in, in the communal approach. And then, but, and then that's a whole different conversation, I think. But, uh, but I think the first place has to be what, what you're talking about is, you know, we started out from a place of love, most of us who, who get married, and, and, that, and if we can stay on that course, that's really what's going to help us navigate all these things, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that, you know, so many things get in the way. You know, the early love that you have, which includes, typically includes a lot more of the passionate component of love and, and, and all that. I mean, once you both get jobs, once you're both having to own a house and do all that stuff, once kids come into the picture, mm-hmm. once dogs come into the picture, um, <laughs> you know, once complexities, you know, once, once you're, you know, I just turned 50 the other day, and every single, like, bad thing that I've seen in other people's lives Somehow or another, I've seen up close and, and personal. I mean, it's amazing the stuff that, that happens. So t- prioritizing your loving relationship with your spouse when, you know, you have a family member who's got some kind of medical issue, you've got, uh, <clears throat> you know, a, a car, my daughter totaled my car that she was driving. Oh, she was okay, but that was, you know, man, that was mm-hmm. a lot of paperwork. I got to see my... My friendly farm agent quite a bit. Um, you know, the number of problems. I'm a professor. I have a lot of students, and students these days are having, you know, I like to work closely with them, and so when they're having problems, I, I r- run into that as well. Life is complex, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the, the key to, I think, a good, successful, happy marriage, and I think I've been – you know, I don't know if I'm an A-plus on this, but I, I hope I'm okay at it and certainly I'm always working <laughs> on it. But I think the key is to never let your partner, your value for your partner, or lever, never let your value of your relationship get lost in the mix. It's, you know, in the honeymoon mm-hmm. period when neither of you has a, has a job and, you know, it's, or, you know you're, or you just have jobs and live in a small apartment, it's easy to prioritize each other. It's easy to prioritize the relationship. When, when you're 50 and you got all these other things going on, you have to, people use the phrase work at it. You know, you mm-hmm. have to work at it. And it's mm-hmm. so, it sounds kind of nebulous, but it's kind of true. Like, what is the work? Well, the work is I'm going to make an hour. We're going to make an hour once a week. We're going to talk about relationships in a positive kind of way. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to make we're going to have dinner once a month out at that nice place that we go to and, and whatever it is, you know, like it's so easy to let the relationship and the, and the value of the partner fall by the wayside. It's, it's the easiest thing to happen. And, and, you know, it work in the long term. it works against everyone's goals. Right. And, and, and one of my, one of my Leslie-isms is that nothing thrives on neglect and that includes your marriage. So we could right. not be we could not be in, in in more agreement, and you know, and and people who know me, so I I don't like using the term work in relationship with marriage because it has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. But it take but it takes focus and effort and energy, mm-hmm. and that shouldn't Absolutely. be negative. It should be because because when you do it, it actually takes a lot less than people think if you've maintained it. If you you know if you if you are aware of not letting other things. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there are certain things that will come at the top of the list, but your marriage should never be lower than number two, because it's right. like, yes, if somebody's having a health thing, yes, that's a that's something we've got to focus on, but it never should fall below number two. 
Um, Correct. But thank Correct. you. But you know, this is, and I think this has been very helpful. And I so appreciate your approach to this because it is. We just have to, in this communal thing, we start out with this grand idea for marriage, and then other things kind of end up jumping, jumping the line. And it, and and what you're saying is, it's just very basic. If you keep that front and center, then mm-hmm. the rest of it is. It's not that it's necessarily going to be easy or thoughtless, um, but it but it becomes easier and and more enjoyable. Is that an accurate yeah. statement? Not only is that an accurate statement, but everything else in your world ends up benefiting and being brought up as well. Because when you and your partner are truly a team and are really working toward the same goals and really enjoy each other's company and really lift each other up, that's going to benefit your children. That's going to benefit your friend circle. That's going to benefit you at work. That's going to just really bring everything in your world up. So I absolutely agree with um, with that approach. And, and the, the effort and the thought that you're talking about, I think, is really um, pays dividends across the board. Well, and, and I appreciate that you, you're, you're um, sharing your personal examples because I think that helps people to go, yeah, every, you know, even those of us who know all this stuff, we still – have to practice it, and sometimes you know we're 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 good at it, and sometimes not so good at it. Yeah, I agree. You know, personal examples really really help. So can you tell people where they can um, learn more about you and this concept of exchange versus communal approach to their relationships, and anything else you would like them to know? Sure. Yeah. So I, I write a blog for Psychology Today. It is called Darwin's Subterranean World. Um, and I write on lots of different topics, often relationship topics and other topics related to psychology. Um, I have a book that I co-wrote with my alum, uh, Nicole Wetberg, who's a brilliant writer. And we got it published with Oxford University Press. The book is called Positive Evolutionary Psychology, Darwin's Guide to Living a Richer Life. And it's really taking what we know about human evolutionary science and trying to um, advance the goals of positive psychology, which is, you know, how can we make people live richer, happier, more fulfilling, more community-based and effective lives. So people can check that out, and you can certainly find me on the web. Um, my, my web address is just my name, glengare, G-L-E-N-N-G-E-H-E-R.com. Well, terrific, because in my view – as I said before, marriage is the ultimate team sport, and you can only win if each of you and the marriage are winning. So scorekeeping between the two of you isn't the best game plan. In fact, it's an approach that can actually damage your relationship. So the question is, are you willing to learn a better way? And as we've talked today about a more communal way, and one of the ways I know you're doing that is to listen to the show. So I appreciate that. And until next week, stay loving.